since God created us and since people have existed, communities have formed. These communities, depending on how they live, depending on what they do, depending on what they are devoted to, they point to something greater or something that's destructive. God, through his grace, called a people to be a covenant people who would point people to him by the way they lived, by the way they gave, by the way they acted, by the way they treated one another. God chose the nation of Israel to be a light to the nations so that people saw that nation, the covenant of people, and it would point that was holy God, that there was one God, that there was a loving and compassionate God. When Jesus came, when he lived the perfect life, when he died and he rose again, he created a community that he's the head of, that he's the cornerstone, the church. And this church should be a city of light, a community of salt. And we'll get to what that means, because that might come out the cut, a community of salt. What are you talking about? This community is supposed to point to a good heavenly father. Our good works as a community should point to God. See, many times we put so much pressure on ourselves to be individual evangelists, right? I've got to preach the gospel. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I've got to be a witness. Listen, I want us to feel the weight that we should be sharing the gospel with people. But the best way to be a witness to your town, to your community, to your city, to the nations, is as a people, as a city on a hill. We are the best witnesses when we come together as one and do good works together and glorify God together because he has gifted us each uniquely to bring glory to him. And if we are not united as a body, there are things that are lacking. When we're one, when we're doing good works together, when we're proclaiming the gospel together, we're on mission together, when we have the same vision, we bring glory to God the Father. We're a city of Light. Let's read this verse, these verses together. If you could turn to Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on the hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, I'm going to praise Pastor Dave a little bit because he's teaching the children, all right? So I'm not going to embarrass him. So anyone who knows Pastor Dave, I think highly of him. He's one of our pastors. He's a very caring person. He's a very sacrificial person. He will do anything for you to help you out. Do you know what happens when I see Dave and I see the way he treats people? I say, he must have a great dad. I say, he must have a great father. And one of the good works that Dave always does if you see any of our events, whether it's a rib fest, pig fest, or we're just grilling in the backyard, Dave's usually on that grill, and he's enjoying every moment. I get behind a grill, I don't enjoy two seconds. You understand me? He's flipping stuff. He's rubbing stuff down. 
I'm always like, I love this. He, one of his good works, he's always want to cook food for people. Like we used to, one time he just brought a whole meal over, and I was like, who made this, Sarah? He's like, I made that, brother. It was so good. Just serving people with good work. If you're friends with Roger Colburn on Facebook, Dave's Papa, every picture you see, he's behind a grill. This brother is cooking 80 pounds of meat at a time. He's a cop in Colorado. They get down out there. For fundraisers, for charities, for everything. His dad is just cooking up. He's saying, I'm doing this for my partner. I'm doing this for this charity. Just meat and meat upon meat upon food. You realize that Dave learned to do good works from his father. You realize that he's imitating his father. And you realize when he does stuff, it brings glory to his father. Now, some people probably don't know that Dave has a brother named Dan. There's a Dan Colburn out there. Haven't seen him behind a grill yet. But I'll tell you one thing. Dan is another kind and caring and sacrificial person. And what happens is they together, as Roger's son, bring such glory to their father because of the good works that they do for people. We, when we come together, and we do good works for others, we bring such glory to God, and it's the greatest witness on earth. It's the best way to witness when we as God's children are doing good works. So let's start breaking down and unpacking this text. The first thing is Jesus starts giving us stuff that is going to mold and going to cultivate identity. He says, you are. You are. And when a father does that to his children, it starts to give them an identity. That's why we got to be so careful with how we speak to our children and what we say they are. If we say things like, man, you're crazy, man, you're out of control, man, it's going to start to shape their identity. What we need to say to our children is, you are loved by God. You're great. You're loved by me. Things that shape them. So Jesus is saying to this community, he says, first thing, you are salt. Now, I don't know if that builds you up right away. We have to unpack that, right? Because I looked up slang. Only time I hear salty is slang, right? Man, he's salty. She's salty. I had to look it up because I wasn't sure exactly what it meant. I used to be a master of slang. Better than the English language. I still throw some stuff out there. I had to look up slang.com. And I guess salty means you're a little angry or bitter at someone. You're salty. That's not what Jesus is trying to say here. Saying you are the salt is saying it in a positive sense. Salt was a great thing of value back in the ancient world. If you had salt, it was almost better than money. Some of our things of currency right now come from the root word salt. They used to salt up their greens. That's why they call it a salad. When you got paid for the week, that's why it's called a salary. It was all rooted in salt. Salt meant big time. And so salt was used for a few things. It was used to season, of course, for flavor. It was used to um, in sacrifices. It was used as a sign of purity and a sign of loyalty. But the greatest way that salt was used was to preserve meat. Now, this was revolutionary because they couldn't travel because the, the meat would spoil. And when you salted it up, it would keep away from mold and bacteria and rotting meat. So they were able to preserve their meat and live longer and preserve other things. So salt was a valuable thing that was used for preservation. 
And that's what he's saying to us as Christians, as followers of Jesus. You are the salt of the earth. This is almost like a prophetic saying, because he's talking to a, a group of a lot, but they would spread out not only from that region, but to the whole world. <coughs> and he's saying, you are the salt of the earth. You will be the ones who preserves culture, who pushes back on the darkness, who preserves your city and your towns and your nations from rotting. We are called to preserve as the community of Christ. Let me ask you this question. What would this world look like if there were no followers of Jesus? What would this world look like if there was no cities or churches in your town? You know how people are saying Christians do the worst in the world. They are caused for all the wars. They're just bad people. Fooey. I've never said fooey in my life. But you'll never forget I said fooey. That's why I said it. And I'm never saying it again. So, lost my track. Christians have led prison reform, medical reform, wiped out slavery, child labor, created orphanage. They have been the leaders and they have been the spearheads in history. Look it up. Christians, empowered by God the Holy Spirit, have worked to preserve this society, to fight for people's rights, to give to the oppressed. Do you believe that? Because that's the truth. And that's what you're called to do. We are called to be the salt in Wakefield, in the surrounding cities, in greater Boston. We should be working to preserve our cultures and to push back on the darkness and fight against things rotting and things spoiling. We all see that, right? Because Jesus gives a warning and he says, what good is the salt if it's lost its saltiness? It's just good to be trampled on. Let me ask you something. Have you ever been around a community of Christ that smells rotten? You can smell the rotten meat. You can smell that it's spoiling. It's only good to be trampled on. Everything is inward. I went to a meeting, and I won't say the church, but they called me over for a meeting because basically the church is dead. It's a museum, but there's a lot of old money from people being faithful from years past. The church is like 100 years old. So people keep giving money. So the people who are coming who aren't charitable, who aren't giving, who aren't generous, are just using all the money from people who got the gospel. And so they're sitting in this museum. It's a 300-person sanctuary, and there's seven people every week on Sunday. Seven people sitting in the sanctuary playing church. Just hot. No air conditioning. They call me this meeting because they're thinking about giving away the building. At least two of them are thinking about giving away the building. The rest weren't on the same, of the same accord. So I go in there thinking, man, this place is dead. There's seven people on a Sunday. There's got to be a few hearts for the gospel in there. Or at least the discussion of the meeting would be, how do we get the gospel out? How do we do good works? How do we get healthy? How do we make a difference in our town's life? You know what they're talking about? Christmas lights. I sat there and said, this ain't happening right now. And they argued at the table. Like, no, the Christmas lights have to go. No, put them on a timer. No, you've got to wrap them around. You think people are going to come to your church because you wrap the Christmas lights right? And I sat there and said, this place smells filthy in here. And I got up and gave some sort of prophetic rant. I said, you guys got to make a move. <laughs> I said, enough of this. Someone's going to be shaking in here. And I did it in love. But I said, you guys are already dead 
and you're heading towards your total destruction. You gotta make a move now. They voted it down, but I was prophetic up in there. It smelled rotten. It, it turned inward. There was no more gospel. It gets to the point where people are arguing about stuff in the body of Christ instead of the church walls disappearing and extending outside the body of Christ. We're all tempted to do that, right? If someone in here has beef with the color in the bathroom, I'm telling you right now, they'll be like, you see that color in the bathroom? I thought they were going to go with this. Get out and preach to somebody, please. You know, God's going to forgive us on the color of the bathroom. I think it looks good, Alicia. I love it. And no one said anything. That was all hypothetical. I swear to goodness. I talk crazy up here sometimes. But what I'm saying is, before you know it, if you don't guard yourself, we could rot and we could spoil. God's doing a bunch of great things because by his grace, he's reminding us we're sinners. And by his grace, we're moving outward. And by his grace, we're giving. And by his grace, we're loving one another instead of arguing. But quickly, we can lose our saltiness if we don't keep God, the gospel at the center and we start grumbling about foolish things and complaining instead of glorifying God for what he's doing and praying for souls to be saved for God's glory. Amen? You are called to be the salt of the earth, but you're also called to be the light of the earth. So he says, you are the light of the earth. So he's saying something when he says you're light. He's saying there's a lot of darkness out there. You don't need a light unless there's a tremendous amount of darkness. Would anyone in here argue that the world is full of darkness? It's sad. Christians are called, and I want to keep saying that, to push back on that darkness, to resist that darkness. And the church is the vessel to do that. The church is the greatest institution on earth. And he says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, some people think the city can be seen because it's elevation. But you ain't seeing the city unless the lights are on the city. Because if it's totally dark out, I'm talking country dark. You've been to New Hampshire when the light, the stars aren't even out? I can't even see my hand out there. Like, we're used to city dark, right? There's a few street lights. And, you know, we got our iPhone out there. Like, it ain't that dark. Like, that's city. You see a corner store like 7-Eleven? That's city dark. You go out in New Hampshire and the stars decide not come out that night, it's a little cloudy. You're like, you're just looking for people. Like, what's going on here? Imagine you're in that darkness and you see this city lit up. You're lost. You're confused. You're afraid. And you see this city elevated, this city of lights. What do you do? You start running towards it. That's what the church is called to be. The world's in darkness. Now, many of us have the freedom in the gospel, so we forget how it feels to be caged. We forget how it feels to be lost. We forget how it feels to have no hope. But when we saw the power of the gospel in the church, we ran towards it. There's so many people out there need to see the light that the church is giving off because they were run towards it. When I was younger, did anyone who grew up in Boston go on a field trip to George's Island? George's Island, baby, for the locals. We went on a trip, threw us on a boat. Back then, I didn't get motion sickness, so I didn't care. I rode that boat. They brought us to this place, and they brought us in this room. It was like a fort. I'm trying to remember everything. And they told us about the lady in black. Do you guys remember that? And I just sat there like eight years old. Now, you can't ask, how old? I was like maybe sixth or seventh grade. And I'm sitting there, and you're with the crew. So they're talking about this lady in black, and we're just like, oh, that's stupid. That's stupid. And they're like, yeah, she still haunts this place. They killed her and they executed, but she still haunts and you can hear her. And I'm like, we're all, everyone's like, the dude's acting like this ain't nothing, right? It was something. Because 
They brought you into these tunnels where there was no light. I'm talking just stones, man. I was looking for a wall sconce, man. There wasn't nothing around. And you're on these rocks, and all the dudes like, we can go through these tunnels. Ain't going to be nothing. You know how far we got? We turned one corner, and everyone just started panicking. All you heard was stones. People were like, you couldn't see anything. And we turned the corner, and you couldn't see light yet. And you could just hear the panic. I was trying to stay cool, but it was all kind of fire up in here. Let me tell you, I was just running. I saw the littlest amount of light. And it was like salvation. I ran towards that light and I followed it and I got out. That's how the church should be. Do you guys hear me? And people feel that panic. People feel that panic when they say, my life has no purpose. I don't know why I'm here. I'm caught in the guilt and the shame and the condemnation of my sins. And I'm trying all these other things to numb it. But I don't know what to do. They need the church shining a light. So they can be called and they can be free and they can be liberated. We are called to be the salt of the earth and the light of the earth and the city on a hill. Now what's the power that makes that light shine? What does this text say? Good works. Good works is the electricity that makes that light shine. When a church stops doing good works and becomes inward, there's no more light. It's hidden. You know, I've never, as an electrician, I've never gone into someone's bedroom and they're trying to show me the layout for lights. And they say, listen, I want to throw a recessed light right under this bed. Can you put a recessed light, a four-inch, please, under that bed? I've never heard anyone say that to me. Because you don't put lights under beds. You put them in the ceiling. You set them on a hill. You put them on a stand. Right? And that's what we're called to do. And the good works are the electricity that make people see the light. And when there's no more good works, there's no more lights. But when there's good works driven by the grace of God, when we're doing mercy, when we're taking care of people, when we're looking out for people, when we're visiting the sick, there's a light that is shining for the world to see. Do you know when I told the principal of this school that we were going to buy all the materials and do all the volunteer work to do some of these projects, you know her response was? She cried. She cried and said, I can't believe you guys are going to do that for us. Do you know what that is? That's you guys shining light out. That's light shining. I want to ask you, I bet the times you've seen the church shine the brightest is when people did good works for you that are either undeserved or generous. I bet that's time when you saw the power of the community of God. Not when everyone was just talking, right? Because we can all just talk and we should be proclaiming the gospel. But when you see that action behind it, and people laying down their lives, and people are sacrificing, people being generous, there's a light that hits you. There's a power behind it. And I'll just give three instances, and I'll encourage you this week to think of at least three ways where someone did something good for you from the church, and it, it just showed like brightness. And think of the way you can do that for others. I'm not saying you have the three. I want you to keep going. You know? I just got out of high school. And God changed my heart. I wasn't expecting it. My goal was to go back to church because I wanted a family and a job. I wanted to look religious, right? I figured if I go to church, I can get what I want. I had no idea God was going to take my heart and change it. I was like, what the heck just happened? I'm bugging myself out, right? God took my heart and he changed my heart. I had nothing. I had nothing. I was 19 years old. I still lived with my mom. I had no car. I didn't know how to turn a screw. I didn't know how to turn a screw. Some guy from my church who had an electrical company offered me a job. The problem was I didn't have a car. 
No car. You know what my youth pastor did? He gave me a car. I was like, what is his car? His car. He didn't look at the budget and say, I don't know if it's going to fit right. He said, take my car. Now, it was a beater. But it rode. And when you're from Lynn and something rides, man, that's a get up right there. I got in that car. And I was so moved. I said, what kind of man is this? Who is this guy's father, both heavenly and earthly, that he's giving cars away to people? Guess what? The car broke down. He gave me another car. I said, what the heck? It was a Jetta, baby. I loved it. That thing would put up the street. You get like three boots and, you know, I was loving it. But I said, man, this is shining like a light in the darkness that I came from. No one from any community I've ever been to just throws cars at you. Then I got to the job. I had no tools. Brother just showed up like, I work? What's up? The boss knew I was going to show up like that from the church, right? He rolled up with a pair of pliers, a, a flathead screwdriver, a Phillips head, and he threw it in my back pocket before anyone could see. He was like, shh, just make sure I walked away. Because he didn't want the whole crew to see that. I had no idea what the heck I was doing. They put me, like, I spent the whole day taking a cover off of 16 screws, just like, right, righty, tighty, lefty, lefty. I couldn't get it. You throw a brother in there like that, I had no mechanical background. Remember from the parable of the oil and the antifreeze, I wasn't the most mechanical guy around. Unbelievable that guy did that. Do you know? <laughs> and it reminds me. He bought me a car too. Another one broke down. I didn't mean to throw that. He really legit bought me another car. The owner of the company. It was three years in. Still learning how to manage my money. I was an apprentice. I got money. It was just like, let's enjoy the weekend. He bought me another car. And I was blown away at the generosity and the good works. And it, it showed like a light in the darkness. The final thing I want you to remember on the good works thing, I got so sick about four or five years ago. I was in the hospital for four days and they didn't know what it was. It was like a stomach thing. I was just the sickest I've ever been in my life. And of course, when you work for yourself and you miss days, you don't have six days, you don't get paid, you don't have money. So here I am with two kids, four days out. It was just one of the toughest times of my life and I'm over at Wake Melrose Wakefield. Another pastor, Matt Cruz, showed up. And he knew that I had a $500 deductible on my health care. And he said, he said, Joey, here's a check for $500 because I know you haven't been able to work. I know your family will, will suffer if you don't make this money. And, he, and I said, what kind of community is this? Would people sacrifice like this? These are the good works that draw people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, what's the greatest work? Why do we do good works? Because Jesus did the greatest work. What is the thing we point to the most? It's not just what Jesus said, even though it's the word of God. It's what Jesus did. We look at that cross and say, how could the son of God be brutally murdered on our behalf? How could he do this work? How could he resist temptation all his life? How could he resist ridicule? How could he be mocked when he is the all-supreme one? How could he endure this and do this greatest work for us? We see that generosity, and what does it do immediately? It points us to God the Father, right? His work as the perfect son. He let his light shine, and it glorified his Father in heaven. The only reason we can do good works is because our God 
does great works. And if you look at Jesus' life, you realize that there were so many things besides just his preaching that he did for people. He'd feed thousands of people at a time. If he had to do a miracle, he'd do it. He made the weddings a blast. <laughs> he didn't care. He healed the sick. He took care of children by healing them. He was tremendously generous. And people saw the good works of Jesus, and they saw the power of God the Father. And that's the same way that we must be as a community, as one people who are witness of God's glory. Now, how do you keep your saltiness? I want to ask you this because we don't want to lose that. In that same time, they were right next to the Dead Sea where you could get a bunch of salt. So they had a, a great resource. They just get a bunch of salt from the Red Sea. But there was an outer core. And what happened in that outer core was there were so many different chemicals and other things that would get into it that the salt wouldn't be um, pure enough anymore. It would lose its taste. It would lose its flavor. So they would, they would throw it out and say it's worthless. We don't want to allow the things of this world to take away our saltiness. We don't want to allow those chemicals and those lusts and those sins to get in there and take away our saltiness. So we have to cultivate a life by God's grace where we keep our flavor, where people see Jesus through our actions and through our works and through our life and through our devotion to him. So let's make sure we remember this is the Sermon on the Mount. And this is a sermon just continuing. He didn't say, I'll meet you next week. He just gave, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He just said all those things, and the message is still going. So how we do that is we allow the gospel to keep us poor in spirit. When we look at that work of Christ and what he did on our behalf, that should keep us poor in spirit. That should make us meek. That should cause us to hunger and thirst for righteousness. That should cause us to be a peacemaker. That should cause us to be willing to be persecuted for righteousness. That's the kind of heart the Sermon on the Mount is cultivating. That our God did such a great work that by his grace, he changes us that we can fill the earth with good works from the community of Christ, from the church, from a city on a hill. So let's talk practically in closing on how we're going to do that. Because I can get up here and say we're going to do good works this year. But we need to have a plan of action to do good works. One of them is, you see we're doing these projects, it's blessing Nazareth Academy tremendously. You don't know what it means to them, and I, I met with a few of them. Everyone who's painting, anyone who's pulling up floor and putting down floors, you are doing the work of God that is shining like a light to these people. We continue to do Bread of Life, and we need more people there. We had no one there last time at Bread of Life. It's on Thursdays, every fifth Thursday um, of the month when there are five Thursdays. We need people to sacrifice and say, you know what, I'm tired. We're all tired, guys. I'm tired every day of my life. You're going to be tired no matter what. You might as well be tired doing the work of God. You might as well be tired, I'm telling you. Because I've thought about, man, there must be easy ways to live a few times. I said, I'm going to be tired no matter what. I might as well give my life for the glory of God. We need more people coming out to Bread of Life to serve in that capacity. Bob Cunningham just met with Steve Mayo, the town administrator, this week, and we asked him what he needed. So a great way, and I love how Bob said this to the town administrator. He said, we're not here to get something from you. We're here to ask you how we can give to this town. And Steve had an idea, and they're working on it, and me and Bob will meet with him on September 4th, and we're going to ask them, what do you need that we as a church can come around you and give to this town? 
How can we do that? And when those projects come up, I ask that you wholeheartedly contribute your time, your energy, and your gifts to that, that our light will shine. Some of our gifts, that um, some of my vision for this year, I want to do a huge movie night on Wakefield Lake for all the families. So that should be coming next summer. And I just want to serve the town like that. Some of other churches who are in our network have done it, and it's been tremendously successful. Next summer, we want to um, have a kids camp for a week, like a VBS. We don't know exactly what we're going to call, call it, but free for the town on us. All the kids that come to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ for a week. Now, I don't want to get overambitious, but we can hit those goals. You know, we're still young, but we're getting our footing now coming up on two years where we can start really getting on the move, sacrificing, and being more of a light to this town and greater Boston. So I encourage you guys, as those things come up, that you would just be thankful and, and, and just happy to be a part of those things because when people see us willing to do that for our town, for our cities, they see the light of the gospel, and it really changes lives. Amen?